Hello ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of On a Journey with WeWork. This is your host Vineet Singh and we're talking about the most exciting stories of growth and innovation in the country in the first season of our podcast series Locally Sourced. Please welcome our guest for this episode, India's first craft gin maker, Anand Virmani. With a London dry gin greater than and a Himalayan dry gin Hapusha, Anand says his aim is to make drinks fun again. If you walk into a bar in your city, it's very likely that you'll find one of Anand's gins. In this episode, we'll be talking about Anand's journey as an entrepreneur in the alcohol industry and finding the right gin recipe for the Indian consumer. While we talk about his professional accomplishments, we'll also talk about his journey of becoming the first distiller in the country, possibly even the world, who has watched all 6 seasons of Peppa Pig. What's with the whole Peppa Pig story? <laughs> yeah, man, that's what I'm most excited about these days. Thanks a lot for having me, Vinny. Firstly, this is great. Yeah, man, Peppa Pig. Uh, when you have a two and a half year old uh, at home, between the two of you, you're uh, you know you're you're taking care of uh, pretty much all the time. Peppa Pig becomes uh, and and friends uh, become a very integral part of your life, more so than your own employees. We were debating before the podcast started. If we should run a short quiz with you on Peppa Pig, oh God, no! <laughs> <laughs> Then we thought we won't put you on the spot. Uh, Thanks. So, Anand, while just doing research, you started off in consulting, right? Yes, I did. Fun consulting story I had, and I want to see if you connect with this. This was about eight or nine years back. I was working for this fancy MNC. You know, every Friday evening, we used to go down to a bar on the ground floor, and we had. a big consulting office which was a floor above and they used to be at the bar as well and all the consulting guys used to talk about is drowning their sorrows of the week and that was their let go moment those friday yeah. so is the, is that how it all started for you as well yeah man uh, i mean it was my first job you know i don't know if i should or it was right it was uh, you know for anyone who's there right now you know great good company But back in the day, it was uh, maybe it was just where I was and how I landed up. I, I felt like an intern there, and you know, for the first month, I was doing nothing. I didn't even like I didn't even know who my team really was. I was just you know one of you know a thousand people in that office, and it was you know very much a you know cattle kind of a you know moment where you just like you you're you're signing in, you're walking through the door, and you don't really know what to do. So you kind of have to make yourself look busy because people around you are looking busy, and you're like, you know, I wonder if uh, you know this is happening to everyone or if it's just me. It was not at all something I enjoyed. Uh, I can I can totally understand why people wanted to drown their sorrows. You know, you're saying weekly, I was saying daily. We we were in uh, Cyber City in 2009 before it became cool, right? Before Cyber Hub and all came up, yeah. and so there was nothing. There, there was, was that one uh, bar there, if you remember, below it. below uh, it oh. it was right yeah it was right below our building oh wow i was actually in the same building so maybe we've been drinking our sorrows on fridays and we've not never known about it quite likely but yeah consulting was uh, was a no go right from day one and uh, i was always looking to you know get out of there how did greater than happen where where did this all go to far removed i guess from from my consulting days in the time span i already worked with a whiskey company uh, called Uh, which was fantastic and it changed my perspective on on what I wanted to do. I had gone and done a masters in wine and spirits already by this time and I had also worked uh, for a year at 
so cognac and liqueurs etc doing the marketing and sales for them yeah and, and at that point uh, one of my friends came up to me and said listen i want to start a wine and coffee bar so this is actually intertwined with the whole gin story uh, so he said listen you've got you know wine knowledge and you've got wine background uh, and you understand a thing or two about marketing why don't you come and do this for for me i said this is great i have you know i've only been behind a desk for uh, you know for most of my career it'll be great to kind of be on the floor and understand what the consumers actually talking about right we we love talking about you know consumer uh, analysis etc and and consumer traits in our powerpoint presentations but how many consumers have we really spoken to so as a listen this is great get me from behind the desk and put me in front of the bar and you know it'll be a good experience so we started doing that opened this up uh, this place called perch wine and coffee bar in uh, khan market in delhi and it was a super experience at the end of every day which was you know 1 1 am we would shut down generally weber and i so weber was my colleague there we would end up spending about an hour hour and a half so till 2:30 3 am not necessarily looking for reasons not to go back home but just kind of hanging out and saying listen let's think about what's going what's going right what's going wrong what do we need to improve upon so those kind of discussions were what we were having there at that point and one of the first few i think in the first week or second week discussion that we had was how surprised we were about how many people were coming in through the door and asking about gin right asking about uh, particular gins like you know and and saying listen i want a martini or i want a you know a gin and tonic with lots of ice and a grapefruit garnish things like that which you know which which just didn't add up uh, for for me and for him he had been in the industry at that point for 20 years had never heard anyone ask for gin i'd been in the in the beverage space uh, and i told you i'd worked with where one of my brands was gin and i remember how many times uh, we were faced with individuals who would come to events and say oh listen i i don't really drink gin but like, why are you here then you know since we've called you for a gin event why are you here but they would go on to be like oh i don't really drink gin uh, can i have uh, a glass of wine please or or a single malt and we like you know kind of defeats the purpose so going from there where people didn't want to be seen you know in anywhere in the vicinity of gin because gin was uncool it was you know your grandparents drink it was considered a, a, a woman's drink which i don't know where that happened from to a point in you know 5 years down the road where where people are coming in you know the 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 cream of the crop is coming in and asking for gin and being very specific about how they like the gin and what gin they like and what they don't like clearly you know a tidal change so we said listen something can be done here this is possibly an opportunity that uh, that you know i think we would be best suited being being part of the industry to kind of take advantage of you know you you mentioned this whole concept of gin being considered a woman's drink and you hear that quite often have you guys tried to change that so i'll tell you how i got introduced to gin i got introduced yeah. to gin by my dad and he was like you should have this this is good and then later on obviously when i shared that with my friends and my friends were like you know this is really a woman's drink but have you guys actually gone and you know i've attended a couple of your events i've totally enjoyed them as well as enjoyed the gins that you've created have you guys tried to educate and i know it's a perception but have you tried to break that perception in any way i think i think it's a perception that we've tried to break you know not by doing certain things but by not doing them so for example we've never really done a ladies night right one of those things that people said oh you're a gin company you know you should do a ladies night we're like listen nothing doing we want nothing to do with that 
you want to stay as far away from that as possible right don't really like the concept in any case uh, and you know don't want that want to further build that association uh, you know uh, in any case so for us you know it's you know when you talk about gender equality as well right in general and sorry i know this is, this is these are tricky waters but you don't say that listen you know i'm going to treat you as equal or or, or this person should be you know equal etc it's you you just you just start behaving that way and you it doesn't necessarily always i mean of course there is there is a need for a uh, for a serious discussion but i think actions speak louder than words so if you start behaving in a certain way and and your your brand is open to everyone welcomes everyone in equally i think it shows right so yeah we we've not really gone out and said no we are a, we are a manly gin you know and you must have a beard and and that's the only way you can drink it that's 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 not quite it yeah sometimes you just need to need to let it be and perceptions somehow tend to run their course and then die off yeah just to understand you you did mention that a lot of people who walked in were talking about gin but the perception again contrary to that is the fact that the country drinks a lot of whiskey and rum it does so when when that's happening and when you're thinking of this business and you're thinking of this idea how do you go about working on that idea which you may land up thinking you know what the consumers may not like it and you know i have to make money at the end of the day so how did you go about convincing yourself so it was one of those things right so so even to all our investors whenever we talk about this they're like oh so you know what's the size of the gin market in india and we're like it's tiny you know so so it's not necessarily the best way to start uh, any conversation but but you have to put it into context right the indian gin market is tiny large right now what i mean by that is it's only what it's in fact now it's become 0.6% so less than 1% of the spirits category as a whole 97% is brown spirit so you know your whiskey brandy and rum is 97% of your spirits category so we've got gin not just we gin has got 0.6% of the spirits category wow. now that 0.6% translates to however 2 million cases so even that small bit is still 2 million cases and 2 million cases makes india the fifth largest gin consumer in the world so it's you know it's it's that funny paradigm right where it's like you know bahut chota bhi is it's very tiny it's very, very big as well so that's kind of how we 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 talk about it and that's kind of how we made sense of it as well was to say that we drink it people around us drink it right we just don't have the options right now potentially if we were to create really great options for people then even more people might drink right the you know if if 6 out of my 10 friends don't drink it currently maybe two or three of them might actually drink it if they had a really good options of course i mean it's a different point that 10 out of my 10 out of 10 friends have to drink uh, gin now because of you know you know a little bit of pressure i can also exude on them but otherwise i think um, you know having choice having options is what builds you know the the community and builds the platform that is gin that's interesting to know i know urban india and i may not have my numbers right but you can tell me i know uh, urban india is actually looking at gin from a consumption pattern from a consumption style a lot more as compared to what they were doing about 5 to 10 years back do you see this hitting into 
this drink actually moving into the tier two, and I'm not talking about the the complete rural tier twos, but I'm saying, you know, the Lucknows or the Kanpur's of the world where people enjoy the drink. Do you see gin going into that segment as well? Um, I think we've got a really good example already. So we started uh, in Maharashtra, for example, in Mumbai. Then we gradually went to Pune, and you know, Pune was a, was an absolute eye opener for us because you know it was like wow, you know, Pune demand almost uh, you know equaled Mumbai, and the kind of excitement that you see in Pune is unparalleled to anywhere else. So if we put out a post on on the Greater Than page or the Hapusha page for Pune. the amount of feedback and the amount of response we get from pune is is double if not triple than what we get in uh, bombay because urban centers are so saturated with messaging being thrown at them right they they've been seen they have always been seen as a traditional market yeah. so they have so much more thrown at them whereas tier 2 you know india and not that pune is is necessarily tier 2 uh, you know in in all respects but but even a place like nagpur right nagpur get gives us so much more feedback to say guys we hear you we love it here's what we're doing with it you know so many pictures we get of you know people do making infusions you know and and they're just so deprived of content generally coming at them so yeah so definitely we see gin finding a place there uh, and not just any gin right gin already has its place there right so so there is your lower end jeans uh, which are you know 3 400 rupees uh, a bottle which are already there but but when we're talking gin we're talking craft gin we're talking quality stuff and for that 100% you know we expect tier 2 to be a solid market and for for us to really you know try and build a presence and build a culture around gin that's interesting anand while we're talking about the whole consumption pattern and and tier 2 as well one of the key nuances of any product is obviously the uniqueness the taste that it brings right and i can't stop myself from asking you like what went into this whole recipe for greater than and what's that unique character of flavor as you would call it and i'm not just talking in terms of taste but in terms of that whole story that that would you would associate with with your product Sure, I think I think in terms of story uh, for greater than specifically, it was kind of breaking new grounds. You know, we were kind of like what the Mumbai craft uh, beer industry had done, right, etc. You know, so so they had kind of broken new ground, right, where where there was nothing before, and then suddenly there was there was beer. Same with us, right? There was nothing before, and we were constantly wondering why there was nothing before. You know, so this question of why the hell has no one else done it? You know. either we're geniuses or we're missing something completely obvious which is staring at us in our face but we just don't know what it is so so for greater than you know what what obviously set it apart was the fact that it was the first really good quality gin being made in india the right way so when i say the right way it, you know london dry is a style that you can call your gin if if it fulfills certain criteria and you know some of that is for example that it has to be made in a copper pot still it has to be made using natural botanicals uh, no essences none of that goes into it no sugar goes into it we have to use neutral spirit at 96% abv uh, we use a wheat spirit because that's the best that we can get you know in india so all of those things kind of kind of go into making greater than unique as a as a product without even getting into botanicals 
without you know people talk about botanicals because you know it's it's these few botanicals that set you apart you know from one gin from another we're saying we we literally and you know we were able to kind of break new ground here with the with the gin itself also in terms of flavor profile you know it it's great it's a it's a very classic london dry style so very clean we get our juniper from macedonia so so very clean macedonian juniper with nice citrus uh, notes to it so with the orange peel and the and the coriander seed you know as well as that sweet palate which comes not from sugar because you don't add any sugar but it comes instead from fennel you know so fennel is something that we we're all used to in, uh, in indian cuisine uh, you know and it's something that just adds a really nice freshness to the gin so the idea behind it was to make it something that would work with any tonic right india is a home to gin and tonic at the end of the in, at the end of the day it's where gin and tonic was invented which not a lot of people know so it's great for a gin and tonic you know it's great for any classic cocktail that you that you dig up from any cocktail book and that's where that's where greater than is whereas uh, of course you know we've got hapusha which is is very distinctive it's made only with indian botanicals and hapusha itself means juniper in sanskrit right so so the the botanical itself the, the juniper that we get itself is so unique so so flavorful that we really felt that it deserved to to give its name to the gin itself right so so we've got uh, the himalayan juniper in there which is very nice and wild a uh, very raw uh, tasting along with things that you wouldn't otherwise find in gin so things like you know turmeric would you find it in in an indian kitchen yes would you find it in a gin never we wanted to put uh, turmeric in there we've put uh, dried ginger in there we've put gondoraj which is the you know uh, the bengali lemon and we've put in raw mango uh, in there as well so very bold very earthy flavors have gone into it and that makes a great martini it'll make a great negroni and you can even have it by itself so it's one of those things you know for you know for friends of ours who like uh, having whiskey on ice or or by itself that's the gin for them very strong distinct indian flavors i mean would i be right in saying that was done on purpose just to add that whole indianness to it well yes and no so so yes it was done uh, on purpose because you know there are so many brands around the world that that try and tell the india story without really being part of the india story so there are brands like gin right not made in india gin not made in india never made in india right so so there are so many people who are trying to use that uh, and and you know trying to own that narrative and really we felt at that point at least and now of course there's there's quite a few other gins coming out but at that point at least we felt we needed to own that narrative right we needed to you know tell our story but but still make it relatable to ourselves there are tons of exotic uh, herbs and botanicals that are possible to find in india but do we want to get into that do we want to make another monkey 47 and you know put in 47 other uh, spices no right for us what we want to do is we want to take botanicals and herbs and spices that we are confident of that we have all interacted with that we've all seen and put them in here again there's there's a bit of a balance there do we want to make it an indian gin yes but do we want to pander to the stereotypes no right so so for example you know we wanted to stay away from the paisleys the the typical sort of indian motifs that are associated with india you know that you can tell from a mile away oh you know this is this is indian 
you know so so we want to stay away from that we want to stay away from the whole you know references to elephants and snake charmers and you know, stuff like that right so for us we don't don't go to work in an, on an elephant right so why why we try to tell that story we are talking about a modern india but even within that modern india we 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 do have a little bit uh, of a nostalgia attached to it we we are talking maybe about uh, you know just post independence where where things were clean things were simpler you know india was finding itself and you know that's that's the kind of mood that we personify right and and while we're talking about that in like the absurdist ways of telling the indian story another big problem with advertising alcohol is that it sits in the dark category right so you have the elephants and the camels that you're talking about and then you have cds and soda bottles and water bottles <laughs> so how has that been you know surrogate marketing obviously is 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 taking the alcohol industry forward in 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 our country but because it being you know darker than dark in the advertising space how have you managed to establish yourself in communicating the fresh story that you have you know i think here is actually where we've benefited i think if if advertising was allowed you would only ever hear of brands with huge marketing budgets right so on tv and and stuff like that you know so so of course there's there's a, there's a craft brand from india that's recently cracked into that world and that's you know where they suddenly you know you we switched on uh, you know cricket world cup uh, was it last year yeah cricket world cup last year I'm branding like wow what's happened you know so so is that the dream maybe not uh, it's great that that it's happened for them you know you're right in saying that you know uh, music series have kind of dominated advertising coming out of the alcohol space because it was kind of a roundabout way of saying you know we're not we're not promoting alcohol we're promoting our music series you know so it's one of those where you're like yeah but you really are promoting al- you know that right you, everyone knows it so it's one of those bare face lies you know it's just like you know you all know what's going on so we've i think how we've gone about it is we've benefited immensely from word of mouth we've benefited immensely from media actually coming to us and saying hey you you're the first doing this tell us tell us more the kind of things that uh, when at or at i was chasing after journalists saying listen please talk about this please talk about this we're doing this event please please come it's kind of been in reverse right we we weren't even prepared when when people started coming and asking us saying we hear you're making a gin you know when is it coming out tell us you know we want to run it first and you know we're like what what's happened so so we've benefited immensely from that we've benefited from doing a lot of on ground events again pre covid times instagram and facebook have kind of been uh, saviors for us you know and they've really helped propel that message out uh, further as well and as long as there's no digital clamp on you know alcohol advertising hopefully that doesn't happen that that's a channel that we really enjoy right because it gives us really good feedback as well do we get you to promise on this podcast that there'll be never ever greater than music series being sold on on television ah uh, never say never <laughs> right it's fair but 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 if it does happen it'll be something hilarious like you know like nursery rhymes or something peppa pig correct correct we might end up paying more to those guys than in just licensing just talking about how you came about getting greater than together you were talking about self doubt and you were talking about either we're geniuses or i don't know where we're going with this and while i was doing my research i was i was listening to one of your talks where you were 
making a very interesting analogy about opportunity being like a golden nugget in the forest right and yeah i mean tell us more about that i mean it's so important for people to understand that because even in in times like these where where we all sitting at home times of crisis there's so many times that there are opportunities that that are out there and we don't grab them and how important grabbing an opportunity for you has been would you want to tell us more about that I I think we all face it and and you know after that talk actually I I spoke to quite a few other entrepreneurs and everything and and uh, there is a better name for it it's called the imposter syndrome right so where where you feel like you don't really belong right and that's not just with entrepreneurs right I I remember when I first uh, landed the role uh, you know of marketing manager in I just felt like you know I did not belong like 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 clearly they, they you know someone had slipped up someone had overlooked something they couldn't possibly you know with with four years of experience make me a marketing manager for, for an entire damn company so that's kind of what you feel and and the thing is you can let that get the better of you as well by just kind of freezing up and being you know being in that you know that deer in the headlights and i think we have done that as well i'm only able to say this because you know we've actually gone through that uh, that has happened to us where we've kind of not really been ready and you know part of uh, that was also right in the beginning when when media started coming up to us and we were just like wait you know you, you're talking to us really you sure you don't want to talk to one of the other guys so i think i think you kind of have to put your horse blinders on and i think that's kind of what we've benefited from as well is just keep your head down keep you know keep at it uh, keep doing the things that uh, that you think are important on a daily basis you know having checklists has really helped so every day you know even if even if you've got the pressure of the world on you if you know on your on your sheet of paper that you have five things to do you know if nothing else you'll do those five things you may not be at your creative best that day because of the pressure of the world but at least you know you'll do those tasks and you'll you'll get through it and uh, and and literally that's all it is you know when you talk about grabbing the opportunity it is just doing the basics right and not letting the fear get the better of you that's it we still feel like you know we we you know we're trying to grab that opportunity and it's it's you know not realizing that yeah some of it might might have already been there and really opportunity is not a not a ball it's a string you know so you have to kind of keep roping a little bit of it in yeah nice i'm going to take that away opportunity is like a ball it's not a string other other way around other way around it's a, it's a, <laughs> it's a, it's a ball a string a ball. yeah not a ball correct perfect i i want to know you know alcohol as a category and you spoke about a few indian brands that have come in and and are doing well for themselves it, the category is difficult right there there is obviously you create the product but then the supply chain right and getting it to to the end user it's that's i mean that must be some some task and is that one of the reasons why people stay away from this business also it's it's complicated it's it's difficult to understand it looks really tough from the outside what's what's your experience been like huge that that is a huge reason and and it's also a massive reason why we've kind of been alone in it for for 3 years with one other entrant uh, since we came in it's just nuts how difficult it's it is you know even for us it took us 2 years to really understand how do we really go about it i love talking to people about ease of doing business in india it's my favorite topic you know because i'm just like you know come sit down like you know, how much time do you have Let's open a bottle of hapusa. <laughs> yeah, and and we'll 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 need to open another one by the time we're through. It's just not set up to be you know entrepreneur friendly, 
you know, nothing is really set up. Well, at least in the Alcobev space, I'm, I'm not generalizing here, but at least in the Alcobev space, it's, you know, every, all the, all your licenses are geared towards uh, large players. Till last year, for example, getting a license to sell, to, to distribute your product in, right, one of the states cost you one crore per year. So every year you have to shell out one crore to be able to sell your brands in a, in a state like how, how do you even fathom that unless you are a or a high or a, you know, or a, you know, you can't as a domestic producer, you know, for, for someone who wants to go in and, and sell 1000 cases, how will we ever afford that? So, you know, we've, we've constantly been faced with things like this and, you know, constantly been trying to find ways around it. And this year, hopefully we found a way kind of, you know, around it by, you know, sharing someone else's license and paying for whatever we can and, you know, and, and stuff like that. It's, it's really not easy. India does not make it easy. And there are, of course, schemes and policies for uh, MSMEs, uh, you know, um, you know, there is technically entrepreneurship being promoted and being, you know, being put on a pedestal is from what I hear. But as soon as you try and go towards one of those schemes and say, listen, we're a, we're a small company. Can we take advantage of this? They're like, what industry are you from? You say alcohol. They're like, sorry, that's the door. There's this, this is taboo. And this taboo is kind of there in on paper, right? Where in the constitution itself, the states who are, were technically responsible for, uh, you know, for their independent excise policies, the states have been told, listen, you're, you can promote alcohol, you can sell alcohol, but we advise or, or you know, we, we would suggest that you should uh, move towards prohibition. So, you know, just in that, just in saying that, you know, it almost, it, it starts to be seen as that dark industry as you're talking about, right? They're like, you know, you can't really take advantage of anything because you're technically a, a sin or you're, you're a taboo, you're not allowed. But the flip side of it is alcohol has always been one of the main contributors to the state coffers. So any state is dependent on, which is why right now so many states were so keen to open up the alcohol shops. Not because they, they were like, oh, you know, people are, you know, people are lying sober at home. You know, we need to do something about this. It was because they depend so heavily on taxes on excise duties coming in from the alcohol space that's really the reason behind it and it's you know it's good to have an understanding of both sides interesting you mentioned the word prohibition and i i don't want to get into any controversy you know i can ask you this because you feel closely about this you have a product yeah. that has been prohibited across a few states in the country what sure. is your opinion about this whole concept? And uh, again, I'm, I'm not going into a philosophical chat, but just in terms of what do you think? And obviously, you'll have a business point of view where it, you know, you'll say it makes sense or it does not make sense. But for someone who's, you know, young, who's out there, who likes to have a couple of drinks, what do you think about prohibition? And what, what are your views about? It? I don't think it works. You know, we, we, you need to lay down realistic laws, realistic rules, and then, you know, to be able to enforce them. You can't have unrealistic rules and then try and enforce them, right? Because that will only happen at, at the whims and fancies of whoever is enforcing them. So case in point is has a legal drinking age of 25. Yeah. How many, how many people can really say they didn't have a drink uh, till they reach 25? You know, I, I, I was probably in school, you know, and, and literally went into a theka, walked into a theka, I think got breezers or whatever at that point and, and walked out in front of cops. 
you know, clearly, and, and I, of course, thought that, no, no, I, I look older than I am uh, at that point. But I look back at pictures and I said, there's no way in hell, you know, anyone thought I was, you know, more than 14 or 15. I looked even younger. So you need to have realistic laws to be able to enforce them properly and be vigilant about them. You can't, you can't just say, listen, this is a, you know, you're a dry state. Is, you know, as, as far as we know, probably one of the wettest states. You know, so uh, the amount of illicit alcohol that, that goes through there is nuts. So is it better to kind of make it legal rather than promote this eyewash, you know, because a couple of politicians or a couple of connected people are going to make lots and lots of money out of it. And it's like a mafia kind of a thing. Isn't it better to actually lay out a structure that is dependable, that is not fluff, you know, and let people carry on with, with their stuff, right? So, for example... Technically, to have a drink, you need to have a permit. You know, permit is a one rupee little thing with your name on it and, you know, whatever. Some 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 godforsaken rule that's been hanging around for the past 50 years, which says, okay, you are allowed to drink. So, lots of bars got raided. On what? You know, these people who are sitting around, they don't have permits. Like, what? So, now bars have started saying, okay, we'll buy the... So, technically, it's on the customer to go out and get the permit. But obviously it's unrealistic. So so now just to safeguard themselves from stupid, uh, you know, harassment from bars have started issuing permits to you. So when you get your drink, you get a little permit with it saying, yeah, this is your permit for now you can drink for today. Matlab, you know, come on, have guys have realistic laws that are enforceable, you know, and people will follow it. When I first entered the industry, you know, we heard so much about, so, so within a hotel, one outlet cannot transfer a bottle from here to there, right? So you cannot go from one outlet in a hotel to the other outlet with, with your drink. It was so strange and, you know, not just your drink, but, you know, if they've got an open bottle of and someone orders it in, in the other restaurant, you can't just go and get it, right? You have to, like, consume it there. And it's just like, you know, what? I was I was working, uh, I was doing an internship at that point. I was working there and... And the, the, the stockkeeper guy was saying, listen, we do all of the, we, we keep like books that high, just filled with all the information that we possibly think is, is necessary. But if the excise guys want, they can still come in here and shut us down because of some stupid fault that they find. And that's a problem, right? So prohibition problem, just the overall approach to, um, kind of policing or, or laying down structures is a huge problem for me because we're just terrible at it. Just that, that aspect and be, it being to so tough, let me ask you another tough one <laughs> as, as we come to the end. You know, convincing the government is another thing. Convincing family and extended family is another thing, right? Alcohol comes with a certain amount of taboo that is associated yeah. in this country, right? I mean, sharapi all of that, right? So... How did that go happen? Like convincing the family. How how was how was that? Was that fun? I'm sure it was. Convincing my family? No, your family. I'm sure people who are close ah, to okay. you understand this a lot. But ah. you know, the extended family is the one usually which is like, hmm, ye Malab, I think I think somehow we've kind of been blessed where people, you know, at least humor you. So even if they don't understand, they're like, hai, okay, times have changed, fine, hai, chal rahe. So that. Thankfully, it was not a not a big concern. I, there was there was one question from my dad right in the beginning, saying, "Oh, you're leaving consulting. Oh, you're going to join whiskey." But I think when the whiskey bottle started coming home, that that kind of finished. 
India, there is a bit of a problem, but 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 the problem kind of feeds itself, you know, because the longer you keep it a taboo, the more people are going to hide away and and you know and and drink, you know, and and further perpetuate the idea that it's a it's a bad thing, you know, and this is across all sects of society. It's not one particular sect of society that is that is doing this. It's everyone, right? There's so many you know people I know who who don't drink at home, but they drink outside. So, so there's something wrong about that fundamentally, because if you if you're doing that, the chances are you're seeing it as an evil, and the chances are you're treating it as an evil, right? And you're also, you know, if you're deprived of something, you know, artificially, when you do get it, right, you are going to overdose on it. You are going to kind of go bonkers on it, right? And and that's a bad thing, you know. And that's where problems start, you know. If you are if you're having a glass of wine, if you're having a uh, a gin and tonic or two there's absolutely no problem with that if you're having 10 there is a problem right and and that is going to happen when you know you're you're told you can't drink at home right but then you know there's a one day a week or one day in two weeks where you know where you go to a friend's place and you're like okay today like i'm going to drink my heart's desire right that's 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 not really that's not really you know great for anyone so i think i think eventually it it, it is a cultural shift which will take time. You know, the more people that you have kind of going out there and having access to it, you know, and, and treating alcohol like, like any other beverage, you know, like you would do coffee or tea or, or whatever else, uh, it has its place, right? And and you treat it in, in that sense and you, you know, you, you treat it with respect and, and that's fine. WeWork has, you know, draft beer, you know, in, in the workspace, right? What other what other general typical office, you know, in India has that, right? But but it's because you believe that people are mature enough, you know, to to kind of have an understanding that this is not a frat party, right? You know, you're not gonna you're not gonna start playing flip cup in the in the middle of uh, uh, or beer pong or whatever in the in the middle of uh, the day, right? You, you it, have a drink at the end of the day, it's fine, and and that's the kind of culture that I think is being built and needs to be built. I agree. I think letting people be responsible and accountable for their own actions and decisions is important for all of us. And not just with alcohol, with everything else. I mean, we need to let people to learn how to do that. And and on that note, Anand, it's it's been amazing. I, I think this was a fantastic chat. I loved every bit of it. Next time I'm seeing you, I'm sure I'm going to bring a bottle of Hapusa with me and then we'll continue chatting on this story. It's It was an amazing story. I feel privileged to have had this chat and to everyone who's listening in as well. Your journey has been super, super inspiring. So congratulations on that and thank you for coming over. Uh, I hope thank you had fun. Thanks a lot, man. Yeah, that was, that was super. That was great fun. Perfect. Uh, we'll see you guys next time. Until then, goodbye.